Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Robert Shapiro. I am Teresa. And we are recording our first session of our joint venture called the Intuitive Health Portal. Almost forgot the name. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, we have been discussing this for a while and we had decided that Rather than continuing to repeat the information and the lessons and all the stuff that we've learned over the last at least two decades or more, um, you know, to, to individual people, it makes more sense to record it for posterity, to put it out to you, to allow you to consume it at will as needed or as you want to. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly what this is uh, pretty much about. Um. As you know, some of you probably already know us, uh, you know that we have a, uh, an actual clinic in Stockton, California. Uh, we have, we established back in, I technically, I established it in 2001. I was actually solo at that time. I was in a group practice and then, uh, due to circumstances that were somewhat out of my control and somewhat in my control, actually. Um, I would decided to go ahead and branch out on my own, uh, of all times at the peak of the great financial crisis, 2008. Um, it was a very risky venture, but it, thankfully it paid off in the long run, although it's been, uh, it, it, it's, it's had its challenges. And then, uh, what was it? 2012 was when you, or was it sooner? Actually it was like 2009, right? That's when you came into the office. 2009. And then it was off and on, but full-time in 2015. Okay, there you go, right? Uh, Teresa, you'll, you'll gather from these, these recordings that Teresa has a much better memory than I do for very specific dates. Uh, I have a head that's full of all this uh, medical and chiropractic and holistic knowledge <clears throat> and uh, other things. Uh, you know, that's just the way it works, but, uh, she's really good at recalling those things. Um, but I'll do my best to recall dates as, you know, as, as I can. Uh, but yeah, so she stepped in at that time. Uh, 2015 is really when you brought in the kind of the intuitive, uh, side of the practice. The, the originally it was the Reiki, Reiki therapy, healing and then uh, we embarked on a number of adventures together to allow mainly you to expand your repertoire and, you know, and for both of us to kind of do some of our healing together and uh, to expand our awareness of everything else that's out there. Because uh, I think at the time I had kind of taken the scientific approach as far as I could, you know, trying to explain the, the known universe and, and, and humans and how we function and while it's important, it's not everything. It's just, you know, it's kind of half of the equation. It's very similar to the, to, the, to the aspect of yin and yang or, you know, feminine and masculine. And those are actually, you know, some of the terminologies that I learned to, to adopt into my, into my vocabulary, uh, you know, mostly because of her, um, her sense of the world, if you will. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, my story, um, if many of you I'm sure are not familiar with it, between the ages of three and five years old, I began to realize that I did not see the world the same way everybody else did. And I pretty much was 
Having a really amazing relationship with the dream world at a very young age, I was doing my own dream interpretations. I was actually having very vivid, lucid dreams and was trying to figure out um, what made me so unique. And so majority of my life has pretty much been a journey of self-discovery and trying to figure out my unique gifts, um, the never-ending question of why I'm here, what I'm supposed to do, and Along the way, I've taken on many amazing mentors and really just gotten in tuned with my own individual gifts. And I was actually really happy that I was able to bring that to the practice and really just bring a whole new modality to, to the practice and really expand what Robert was already doing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Probably before we go further down that rabbit hole, it'll probably help to put things time time wise into context. So I'll talk a little bit about, you know, who I am, what I do, why I do it, and then eventually what led up to, you know, creating the practice the way it is today. So um, I am I, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and um I didn't realize it at the time. A lot of things you don't realize until later in life. You're more mature. You have more life experience. But uh, now I would have called myself a futurist. I read a lot of science fiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. I wanted to understand the world the way it worked. I would I would actually read books about meteorology. Uh, I would have conversations with adults uh, at like the age of six. My mother told me that I would. I would have these these adult conversations and they would look at her and say, like, how old is your child? And so um, I've always kind of had an, an old mind and um, and I was always looking to the future. I never really focused a lot in the present. Um, part of that was probably because of the fact that we moved around a lot. So, uh, you know, in St. Louis, we moved to multiple locations. Uh, my mother was a single, uh, she was a single parent raising two children, my brother and I. And uh, unfortunately she had to move where the work was. We moved to multiple locations in Illinois. And then eventually just she decided she wanted to be around her family, which had pretty much, they, they were all in California, SoCal and Arizona. So uh, we ended up moving to the Los Angeles area into a little suburb called Downey. And uh, we lived in a little apartment that my aunt uh, managed. She managed all the apartments. It was actually pretty cool. Had a lot of good memories there. Met my met one of my cousins. We're, you know, still uh, good friends to this day, uh, William. And, um, and, and, and then from there, uh, we ended up moving to North Long Beach, lived there for a while. That's right next to Compton. It's not a great area. I uh, had some interesting times there, um, to say the least. It's kind of some of my first experiences with uh, having to learn to, shall we say, defend myself. And um, kind of probably all, one of the things that ultimately led me down the path eventually to do martial arts, which, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, yeah, I, I went to uh, sixth grade in, um, in uh, Long Beach, and then uh, I think there were maybe there was a recession or something, and that I think is what led us ultimately to leave there, and then move to Yuma, Arizona, because that's where my mother's uh, two brothers and her mom were. My grandmother, uh, she needed the help, so we moved there. My, my older brother met his first wife. They he stayed. They got married. They had children, and then we lived in Yuma, 
for, you know, three, four years. Um, I did my, I did my junior high school there and then did my first year of high school, uh, at Yuma high. And then she decided that we need to move to St. Louis. She wanted me to be around my father again. And so we did, and that was 1990. Uh, went back to St. Louis, um, got around my father, my father, uh, he's a very physical man. Uh, he's very strong, well-built. He had uh, a, a history of doing some bodybuilding. And when he met me, I was just kind of this scrawny, like literally kind of almost 98-pound weakling. And he looked at me and he says, boy, we got to bulk you up. And so he got me into weightlifting and bodybuilding. And it was the first sport that I ever got into that I really took to almost like a fish to water. Unfortunately, because we moved around so much, I didn't get to do any team sports. Uh, and I, you know, I don't blame anybody for that, just the way it is. Um, and so got into bodybuilding. I grew very fast. I really liked it. I liked the attention it brought me. Um, and But the only caveat is that it didn't, being stronger doesn't necessarily make you better able to defend yourself. And so again, because I moved around so much, you know, always kind of the new kid, uh, dealing with confrontations, things like that. And that ultimately led me down the path of uh, doing martial arts. Had a good friend that I, I worked at the bank with. Uh, her, fa her father and mother, her parents were uh, black belts in judo. I had heard little things about it, didn't know it, but I figured, hey, somebody's offering, I'm going to try it. Uh, and once I got into it, it blew my mind. Uh, it's grappling. It's a grappling art from Japan. Uh, a lot of throwing, uh, choke holds, arm bars, uh, you know, pins, things like that. And, and I tell you what, like most humans, they do not feel comfortable on the ground and they definitely don't feel comfortable on their backs. And, uh, I was no exception to that rule, but you know what, with training, you learn to get comfortable with it. And I actually grew to enjoy it because I like the fact that now I was the one who was able to take control of situations and, uh, and, uh, and I actually got kind of aggressive with it. I, I would actually look for, you know, reasons to get into altercations. But uh, I had something happen one day. Uh, I really injured somebody and it was an eye opener. It was like, you need to chill out. And, and, and my teachers were telling me, like, you, you got to learn to channel your anger, you know, your aggression more constructively. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, I ultimately, again, I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to go to college I knew in my mind, it was the only way I was ever going to find, get myself into a lifestyle that was more, you know, what I always saw myself, you know, having, because, you know, coming from a single parent household and moving around a lot, we didn't have a ton of money. Um, we weren't necessarily poor, but we also definitely weren't rich. And my mother always seemed to make things, you know, work, but, um, I knew there was something better and I figured that, you know, greater education was the answer to it. And you know, a lot of people back then, everybody was always like, you have to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to get an education. And I don't think that that was entirely wrong back then. Um, so, uh, once I got out of high school, uh, and, and again, I actually went to two other high schools, you know, we talked about moving, went to two different high schools out there. Uh, finally got into college, did, did, started my undergrad in the community college. Uh, and my intention had been since about maybe like age 10 or 12, I wanted to be a nuclear scientist, uh, either a nuclear physicist or an engineer. Um, I wanted to study the mechanics of uh, nuclear science. I wanted to study the mechanics of producing energy because it's, you know, the, the, to understand the power of the sun, 
of the stars and and the un, the, the unlimited energy it can produce and obviously our world needs lots of energy and so those were the kinds of things that i thought about and i started my classes and once i got into my physics lab classes all of a sudden i just hit a wall like i was bored with it and i just couldn't see myself doing it anymore and about the same time i sustained an injury at the gym i was training for a bodybuilding competition uh sustained an injury at the gym a real bad one to my left shoulder and um, went to the hospital and uh, they x-rayed it and examined it and they told me, hey, you know, you didn't fracture it, you didn't dislocate it, and they just released me. They didn't give me any other instructions. I tried calling my primary doctor's office. I couldn't get an appointment. I was freaking out, so what did I do? I called my chiropractor's office, Dr. Dr. Robert Rimmer. And I said, hey, this is, you know, I did this, I messed myself up, and he said, you know, come in, get in now. And so I did, I dropped everything, uh, drove over there with the bill, with the use of only one arm, drove over there. Thankfully my car was an automatic and, um, got in the office. He took a look at me. He figured out that I tore some stuff in my rotator cuff and put me on a treatment protocol right away. And within a month I was back in the gym pressing almost full weights, you know, full, almost complete full use of my arm other than some, you know, little residual like soreness or maybe after effects, you know, it'd be a little bit more achy. But I mean, uh, to me, in my mind, I was like, this is a miracle. This is the best thing that has ever been created. And I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like I want to, I want to be that expert that helps people heal from catastrophic, you know, situations. And so that's when I changed my, my major to chiropractic. And thankfully it was pretty early on in my college. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to like completely redo everything. I was already in my science classes. A lot of them, I already, I needed those same classes for chiropractic. I just had to incorporate things like a lot of chemistry, organic chemistry, you know, of course, anatomy, physiology. And then once I got through that, went on to uh, a transfer to Logan chiropractic, which is in the suburbs of St. Louis, very well known, very uh, accredited school in the United States. Um, went there, got my, my bachelor's in human biology. Then I got my doctorate in chiropractic. And then I came out and was like, where do I want to practice for the rest of my life? And so long story short, made my way out to Stockton. My brother actually lived out here. It's kind of why I did it and established a practice here. And I mean, I was literally a stranger in a strange land, but before I got into practice, I had to get licensed in California. It's a little bit more complicated than Missouri. So I ended up getting a job in the meantime at a, a startup internet company in Lodi, California. And that's where Teresa and I met. And so then, you know, uh, one thing led to another, got to talking, got to hanging out, you know, figured out we really liked each other. And, uh, and then that was the start of our relationship. And then eventually I started my practice. Uh, I started initially like in 2001, I actually worked for a doctor for a short period and then that didn't work out. So then I became an independent contractor in the practice and I stayed there till about 2000, end of 2007. Uh, things got kind of dysfunctional over there. There was a lot of just, just a lot of personality disorder and stuff. I mean, it happens. And so I decided I needed to break away. I had to start my own practice. And so, you know, we had been discussing it for a while. I, did, I had already been working on it, you know, trying to get, I did a business plan, tried to get loans. Uh, nobody would lend to me, you know, you're a nobody, blah, 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 blah. Chiropractors have a, a high failure rate. Eventually I did. I got a, I got a, a small micro loan, got my own little office, like 900 square feet over on Grand Canal Boulevard, 
or I'm sorry, uh, that's Lakes. where we are, Quail Lakes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, over on Quail Lakes, and um, you know, opened the doors. And the crazy thing is, the practice tripled within the three years that we were there. We literally tripled. Um, didn't make a ton of money, but we grew. Uh, didn't realize all the logistics of billing and insurance. And that's actually one of the things we're going to be going. That's one of the rabbit holes we'll go down, you know, on another episode as insurance. Cause a lot of people don't understand it. You need to understand it. Uh, I have a lot of knowledge about it. So, um, but yeah, we didn't understand it at the time. And so we struggled with that, had to learn it, you know, the hard way. Um, and did, Eventually moved the office over onto uh, March Lane, 2509, uh, uh, no, no, uh, 2333 uh, West March Lane, right there by Taco Bell. <laughs> and we're there for another three and a half years and decided we didn't like that space. Uh, also didn't really like my landlord either. So then we moved just a little bit behind us in the plaza on 2509, which was on the lake. And that was a nice office, but you know, once again, uh, the the building got purchased by another person. Uh, in my opinion, they were they got a little greedy, and plus, functionally, the space just wasn't working out. So we moved again to where we are, two zero eight seven Grand Canal Boulevard. Um, it's a nice little office, and uh, it's it's more functional, uh, and the patients like it. And so, anyways, um, going back to now back and talking about like how you got in right so you came in initially in about 2009 when we had actually joined health source which was a national franchise and that helped a lot to get a, our business acumen up because school chiropractic school does not prepare you to be a businessman they prepare you to be a clinician but nobody teaches you business uh, or very little and so you a lot of it you learn the hard way and that's usually what puts most of us out of business is that we don't understand business so thankfully, my best friend, uh, Dr. Gary Dillon in uh, Ashland, Kentucky, uh, he introduced me to this company, HealthSource. He had joined them in 2008. He felt maybe this could solve our problems. We went out and looked at it in Cleveland, Ohio. We were blown away. We went to their discovery day, right? You, myself, and my mother, who was working at the practice at the time. And we were absolutely blown away by how professional they were and how organized and structured they were. So we joined and... Uh, 2009 to about 2012 we were in that uh but unfortunately their their business changed a bit and we decided to get out in 2012 and uh and then Teresa had kind of been like wrestling with ideas as far as like what she wanted to do like what she wanted to bring to the table practice wise maybe business wise income etc right self-realization and so you decided to go and um, you decided to go and, you know, get your 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 Reiki attunement. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, and then I'll let you get into that. I'm just going to say that, you know, after that, I went into uh, more. I went more in a direction of I actually got my my sports certification in 2012, because, again, you're always kind of you're always kind of figuring out, like, how do I make the, the business more successful huh? and and a lot of it unfortunately revolves around the doctor and the skills you bring to the table and so i went and got my ccsp 2012 uh, at palmer west and in, in uh, san jose and i uh, started treating a lot more athletes and um and it was good but i just kind of felt like okay now there's something there's something more right and then i was also studying something called functional medicine which is like 
basically it's clinical nutrition. You're taking, you're taking holistic solutions, but you're also running very modern cutting edge testing like blood testing and saliva and uh, urine, urine testing. And you're looking at it through a very different set of lenses, a more a kind of, for lack of a better expression, stricter, you know, more focused. And it allows you to spot problems as they're emerging, or it allows you to find things that, that, that are legitimate crises problems, but oftentimes get missed on typical lab panels, either because the, the ranges are no longer really that valid or because the doctors don't even run the tests because the insurance companies dictate what is allowed and what's not allowed. It's called standard of care. And so oftentimes when patients find themselves frustrated, they're like, Hey, I'm going in, I've got these symptoms. I'm telling the doctor they're running the tests and they're saying you're fine. And they're going, but I don't feel fine. Is it in my head? Well, a lot of times they'll come into us because we'll let them know, no, it's not in your head. It's actually in your, in your, in your chemistry. And we just need to run the right test or we need to look at it through the right set of lenses, the right perspective. And oftentimes we find it and we, you know, help them address it. However, um, the longer I was in practice, the more I started running into more like psychological stuff and emotional traumas and um, energetic issues. I mean, eventually I figured out that these people have like these energetic imbalances and that's a tricky world to step into, especially from my point of view, because I tend to look at things more, uh, shall we say, you know, from a Western approach, from a scientific, measurable standpoint. Um, because I think a lot of the reason why is, number one, it's just kind of the way I'm geared. That's why I was going to go into science, you know, no matter what. But two, being a chiropractor, the first 10 years of my, my career they were tough as far as like being accepted. I couldn't believe that in all places, including California, that there were people that still didn't believe in chiropractic that thought it was like a pseudoscience or not even real that we weren't even, then people would say, you're not a real doctor. And so I really felt the need, like I have to prove myself here. I have to show people like, um, well, I want to say certain things, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep it clean, but I have to show, <laughs> I want to say like, you don't, freaking know what you're talking about uh, let's just say that and uh i i you know I'm, I'm a very smart guy i can figure this out and so um again that's why i just had the tendency to approach things more from that scientific approach however i was just running into roadblock after roadblock with certain patients like they would come in it usually is women but it's men too uh but they would come in and they would just be stressed out and they and their brains were just constantly going. I call them I call them propeller heads. Um, they're just it's like a propeller just spinning constantly. They can't shut their minds down. They can't get they can't get out of the fight or flight response. Uh, they're always in what we call sympathetic dominance, which is, you know, part of your autonomic nervous system. One side sympathetic controls fight or flight activity action. The other side is parasympathetic that controls like that's the. We also call that in functional medicine, we'll call that rest, digest, and repair mode. So when a person wants to downshift and relax and conserve energy and rebuild their reserve, they'll go in parasympathetic zone. When they need to be in action, they need to fight something off, they need to you know, get a job done or something, they'll go in sympathetic fight or flight, take action. And then the idea is that you're always slipping back and forth. But in this day and age, people get stuck into the sympathetic zone and we call that sympathetic dominance 
Now, sometimes I could address that with the nutrition, but many times it either it wouldn't do the job or it just wasn't enough. Like there was another component and that's really where she came in. And that's when she started kind of doing some stuff, which she's going to talk about. Uh, that's where the really mind blowing stuff started to happen. So anyway, let's talk about that. All right. Well, as far as my childhood, I actually grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, primarily grew up in Fremont and, I actually, that's pretty much where I spent majority of my school years. Um, I went to, well, early on, I'd say pretty much from kindergarten, I went to uh, one school, then went to a different school for first and second, then then we moved. So then I went to a different school for, you know, pretty much uh, fourth through sixth grade, you know, so trying to think back on all the names of the schools, you know, when you fill out any type of application and they want all of your, your education, you go, Oh my God, where do I begin? Right. And then of course, trying to remember the names and addresses. And so, yeah, I, I remember as funny trying to think about where to start this and the introduction and, you know, trying to think of, okay, what name am I going to use? Because I remember growing, going, being in elementary school and there was always more than one Teresa. And I remember at one time the teacher actually suggested that I change my name. And I said, why would I do that? And so they said, well, we can't have two Teresas in the class. And so I actually spent the majority of my elementary years as Terry, which I absolutely hated. Not that it's a bad name, but for me, I was like, that's just not me. And so, so I, yeah, I spent a good portion of, you know, my elementary years as Terry. And then of course, when you run into students, you know, that you went to class with and they're like, Terry, and you're going, and of course you don't respond, right? Because that's not your name. <laughs> they try and see you somewhere or they're trying to get your attention, but yeah, so eventually, you know, when I moved away from those schools uh, in that area and pretty much moved to the Mission San Jose district in Fremont, that's when I actually became Teresa. And I was it was actually kind of nice because I was right across the street from the school. And so not like I really had to, you know, rush to get ready. But um, my father loves to tell this story. I've always been nervous about being late for things. I've always tried to be very prompt and it's so, <laughs> I actually was so afraid of being late that I actually got up at two o'clock in the morning to get ready for school. I had no concept of, of time. And so when I suddenly had to switch schools and was no longer going to just walk right across the street, um, that's pretty much when the two o'clock began. And I had a very unique, I'd say, like kind of a morning ritual. And so I've always been a bath person, not really a shower person. So I got up, took a bath, and then would, you know, then would take forever trying to decide what to wear. And then, you know, of course you got to do breakfast. I was a very independent child. And so my parents were unaware that I was getting up that early. <laughs> And so, so then I was actually out of the house by about five thirty, six o'clock, um, went down the street to a friend's house, took the bus and went to school. 
And then, of course, when I got to school, started every morning with a chocolate bar and, you know, a Coke, which today would be like, who does that? <laughs> Robert's shaking his head like, oh, man, that's just wrong. <laughs> so here I was, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, irritating my friends because I was also an extreme, you know, hyper person at that time, always full of energy from the time that I was this itty bitty small child and completely outgoing. I had pretty much walk up to complete strangers and just say, hi, <laughs> introduce myself, just start talking. And my parents were like, where'd she go now? And so they didn't have leashes then, <laughs> which they probably should have. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I'd be walking up to my friends completely, you know, it's like high as a kite, you know, it's like on, you know, caffeine. And so, and sure. I, <laughs> so then I would be, you know, it's like walking up to them, you know, it's like just talking heck aloud and fast. And then my friends would go, Teresa, go away. It is too early. So I was like, okay. So they, they, that was pretty much my routine up until about high school. And then um, in high school, I kind of decided to sleep in a little bit and then woke up at four. <laughs> But pretty much had the same routine. Um, so I did actually go to Mission San Jose High School up until uh, my sophomore year. And then we ended up moving from Fremont to Hayward. And that was... Pretty much the time that I once again began to question who I am and, you know, ancestry and, you know, like backgrounds and all of that, because suddenly here I am in a new school, completely, you know, it's like different, you know, dynamic of, you know, of students and, you know, as far as different, you know, races and I suddenly was going, okay, well, who am I? Especially when, you know, when, uh, my classmates were looking at me and they would ask me, what are you? And so I had pretty much been raised in being told that I was full-blooded Mexican. And so I told them I'm Mexican and they would go, no, you're something else. And I go, what do you mean? Right? It was like, how, you know, so yeah. And I would go to my, my family and I'd say, Okay, I was told that I'm not Mexican. So so then I started really you know trying to figure out our family history. And you know, I was like trying to say, okay, well, where do, you know, where did you guys come from? Talking to my, you know, grandparents and where were your their parents from and trying to kind of put the puzzle together. And there just seemed to be a lot of holes. And you know, so that's pretty much the time that I've started to get really interested and fascinated with people, who they are, where they come from, what their backgrounds are, what they're into. And so I pretty much had started at that time developing relationships and really just wanting to find out what made people tick. And along the way, I suddenly realized that everybody wants to tell you who they are. They need to tell you who they are. And there's multiple ways that they do it. And so, but one of the things that I was realizing was a lot of what they were saying is not what I was seeing or experiencing. And so then suddenly I said, okay, well, there's more here. And that was kind of when I really started to go down these different paths of, you know, really trying to understand 
that there is more than just what we're taught and what, you know, we read, what we hear. And so I really started taking on a lot of my own studies and, you know, started just kind of looking at different types of, you know, religions and cultures and, you know, looking at, you know, past civilizations. I never was really a person that was really into history, but then I realized there is, you know, a different, a different side of it. And, you know, so I, at that time, pretty much wasn't twisting a lot of what, you know, I had been taught and started really trying to vet the information myself. And now look what's going on today with all the, everybody, you know, going back and looking at how history was told and, you know, we've, we've learned how uh, history is often written from the perspective of the conquerors, not from the conquered. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I think you intuitively picked up like, hey, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's something missing or it's actually, it's completely, it may even be, I don't know, for fabricated perhaps. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things that I've never kind of stopped myself was questioning. It's like I questioned everything, everyone. Um, as far as the times when I got in trouble in school, that's really a lot of what <laughs> it was from was refusing to conform. <laughs> and so I actually remember having a uh, one of my teachers, I think it was my, one of my computer teachers, uh, she basically, one of my friend and I were, were just having a conversation. We were, you know, clearly doing what we were supposed to do, but she said, you guys are talking too much. And, you know, it's like, you really need to focus and do your work. And I said, we are doing our work. And she looked at me and she said, you have an attitude problem, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, and then I actually got thrown out of a class <laughs> in junior high school because I talked back. (laughs) And then, so, yeah, so really just not, I don't know. I I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that I don't respect authority, but (laughs) one of the things that I can't say my parents have always allowed me to do was to be heard, was to actually speak and defend myself. And (laughs) so. It's not really a, a disrespect for authority. What it is is a disrespect for blind authority. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Well, wait a minute, you're doing this. Don't yeah. question that, right? Yeah. We see a and pointing it out. Yes. <laughs> we, people don't like that. Certain people don't. Others do, though. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, so one of the things, I remember my, my grandparents, they, you know, they used to always get on my father about, you know, why do you let them talk back? And it's like, that's not talking back. That's, you know, basically giving their side of the story. And so, but yeah, it's just the fact that I said, okay, no, you know, I've never just said, okay, I'm not speaking now. And so that's one of the things that I did in Thinking back on a lot of the jobs I've had, it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, I've left many jobs. I've worked in many different industries. Um, pretty much had my first job when I was about 15. And um, and I think some of the industries that I've worked in, it's, I mean, from retail to wine to x-ray service and supply to, you know, to the entertainment industries. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... I've thinking back on all my jobs, I've never actually, you know, done the same job per se. Um, but 
that is one of the things that's always been there was my ability and willingness to stand up for other people and, you know, to really just kind of help them see their potential. And so I've always kind of just been in some ways a cheerleader, you know, for people and basically helping them find their way and, you know, really just, again, what they're capable of. And so it, it was just interesting the ways that those things came out. And really in 2010, I believe it was, I was actually at work and was just noticing that one of my coworkers was, was, was really struggling and, you know, was going through some, you know, very difficult challenges. And suddenly I noticed that he was just one day unloading his entire, you know, life story, every single thing that had happened to him. And, but it wasn't just being able to listen, but it was also being able to see him step outside of himself and really just allow all of this stuff to come out. And hours had gone by that this had happened. And after he was done, he pretty much had, you know, I literally just kind of saw him step back in and then, of course, realizing how much time had gone by. And it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. And I said, it's OK. You had a lot of stuff that you had to get out. You obviously felt comfortable enough to, you know, to say all that you had to and to do it all. And you're welcome. <laughs> and then it, it started happening pretty regularly and not just, you know, it's like with him, but it was, um, friends, it was family, it was, you know, multiple coworkers, you know, and of course, even because I was changing all these different jobs, <laughs> but that kind of became a, you know, a regular thing. And it started actually happening daily where I was noticing that people were experiencing a lot of the same thing. They had a lot that they had to get out. Um, they, you know, just really didn't have anybody that they could go to about certain subjects. Um, and then again, they just were able to, to say it. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, basically in 2010, um, uh, helping my coworker, you know, through some stuff. And then from there, it was just more and more people were unloading and their entire life story, things they weren't even able to say out loud. Um, one of my coworkers has seen beings, <laughs> you know, whether you want to call them earthbound spirits, ghosts, whatever. <laughs> uh, she basically had been able to say that out loud for the very first time. And it was kind of the same thing. Hours had gone by, just sharing information and then apologizing because so much time had gone by. And I basically said the same thing to her, said, you obviously had some things that you needed to get out that you wanted to share that you weren't able to get out before. And now you have, you're welcome. <laughs> and so when it started happening daily, um, I started noticing, I was like, okay, what is this? What is going on? Something is different. And I went to my aunt, my aunt, Carmen, um, has always seen more in me than I was ever able to see in myself. 
Um, she is actually a Buddhist. She has been for as long as I can recall. And she'd always been sharing uh, a lot of her experiences with me. The fact that she was chanting for hours at a time each and every day and really kind of sharing what all of that was about. Um, so I actually was able to have full on conversations about, you know, it's like her beliefs and, you know, everything that she had studied. And she actually is the one that introduced me to Reiki. She actually had been practicing Reiki since the mid 80s, I guess, before it was even a thing, <laughs> you know, before anybody would have really even heard about it. And so I asked when my cousins, her, her children were talking about, you know, Reiki and being able to, you know, heal, you know, with the hands. And, and so when they actually went to describe what it's like, I immediately said, oh, I can do that without even really knowing what it was. And so when I went to her and I said, okay, what is this Reiki thing that, you know, that, uh, you know, that they're talking about? And that's when my aunt started explaining to me about, you know, energy medicine and, you know, the ways that, you know, energy can actually be used, you know, to heal. And so then she started telling me about her mentor, which was, um, a woman named, you know, Lonnie and the, so going, kind of talking about the history of Reiki, it is actually a practice that was founded in Japan. Um, Mikawa Sui apparently was a, I think he was, um, a kind of a, a teacher and one of his students one day asked, what is God? And he suddenly didn't know how to answer that. And so he basically decided to go on a journey and try and find the answer. And just after, you know, it's like sheer exhaustion from, you know, his travels and, you know, just hearing different, you know, types of, you know, information, getting all kinds of different answers. He basically just decided that he was going to, you know, take a moment and, you know, and meditate. And so suddenly during that meditation, he actually had received a, a kind of a download and basically was told that he would bring about a new form of healing. And basically that form of healing became Reiki. It was the channeling of universal or divine energy. And um, then he found that he was actually able to channel it through the palms of his hands to an individual. And so, you know, Reiki being that it's it's actually made up of two pic pictograms. Um, so one being Ray, you know, it's like whole of creation or universe. Um, then, of course, key is the energy. And in Japan, you know, key is energy. China, it's chi. And so, so it's, it's interesting when I began to look at the various, you know, forms of, you know, healing and the different modalities that were out there, um, looking at energy medicine, massage therapy is a form of energy medicine, acupuncture is a form of energy medicine. Um, and then of course you've got, you know, it's like a Qigong and, you know, Reiki and, you know, all of these various other and, you know, modalities that people are using to basically activate the body's ability to heal itself. And so 
So when my aunt started telling me about, you know, the actual lineage, so, you know, Mikeo Sui actually had, you know, a school, he actually taught um, one of his students, uh, you know, it's like um, Dr. Hayashi, who was actually a, um, a naval doctor, you know, he actually taught him the form of Reiki. And it was actually um, Dr. Hayashi who actually kind of simplified the practice because, you know, it's like a... You know, Mikeo Asui, you know, sessions would take all day, you know, and one person is pretty much, you know, someone would come in, they would travel for a great distance, and he basically would just kind of run his hands over the body, kind of tap into, you know, the energy field, kind of find where there were, you know, imbalances, pain. Um, it's usually, we can actually, you know, sense um, through heat and vibration, the areas that are imbalanced. And so he would basically, you know, it was like just go up and down the entire body until it was completely cleared. And, but then, you know, when uh, Dr. Hayashi had actually had received the sessions and then of course was seeing them being done, he said, there's gotta be a simpler way to do this, you know, and considering, you know, <laughs> you're not being able to do that many sessions in a day because, you know, if you're trying to heal everything in one <laughs> fail swoop. Well, he said, no, we, we need to simplify this. So, you know, Dr. Hayashi was kind of the one that created the, um, the individual hand placements to kind of cover the most amount of area. And then also being able to, you know, to really make a huge difference in a shorter amount of time. And then he actually taught, uh, one of his students, um, you know, it says highway, how, I can, I always mess her first name up, <laughs> Hawaii Takata. Um, so she actually, was the one that brought, you know, Reiki from Japan to the Western U.S. And then um, also, you know, from there, pretty much just began, you know, it's like giving attunements, which is basically opening up um, the necessary energy centers to receive the, you know, the energy, and then, of course, being able to channel it out. And so normally, you know, Reiki is one direction, and so the practitioner does actually channel in the energy. It's delivered through the palms of the hands. But one of the things that I found um, the very first time I did a session, which was on a coworker, because I had been taught that it was one direction, I said, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and receive the energy. Well, my coworker was actually a smoker. And you know, he actually, you know, was just in horrible pain and I was able to feel, you know, it's like that he just was not doing well. And I finally just said, can I try something? And he said, whatever you can do, please do. And I said, okay. So went ahead and attempted to do the session on him. The moment I laid my hands on him, my throat closed. And I said, oh no. So I pulled my hands off and then I was good. And I was like, okay, well that's never happened before. Because I had actually received my attunement from my Aunt Carmen in 2012. And in order to receive the first degree, uh, then I actually had to do a session on her. And I actually, you know, over a weekend um, did the session on her as well as on, you know, my cousin, um, Eileen, which was, you know, Carmen's daughter, as well as on my grandmother. And one of the things that Carmen had told me when I did the session on her was, you are one of my most powerful students. And so we've been trying to figure out, you know, why that is. And I think the, the biggest reason is because I had spent my life trying to understand 
a lot of the dreams that I'd had. And a lot of those dreams were me wandering, um, always searching for something, someone I'd be, you know, it's like wandering through, you know, a, like a wide open field, um, a deserted town, you know, it's like trying to find, you know, a particular person or just, you know, somewhere that I was supposed to be. And in 2012, when my aunt had finally told me after sharing with her all of the, you know, the times when, everyone was unloading all this stuff. I was calling her up regularly saying, this happened today, this happened today, this happened today. And she finally said, I think you're ready. And I said, for what? And she said, to walk the path that I've always known that you were meant to walk. And I said, cool, what do we do? <laughs> so then we had decided to go ahead and, you know, and have her do the attunement, the attunement so I could start practicing Reiki because I just, you know, could not let it go the more that I kept hearing about it. And after she did, you know, that attunement, I suddenly realized those dreams had stopped. Mm. And so, you know, so suddenly it was, oh, Okay, well, because then I, I suddenly was thinking back on all of the dreams that I was having. And for the first time, I didn't have one of those searching dreams. And so basically what happened was, you know, with the kind of the thing that everybody keeps asking today is what is my life purpose, mm. right? And so for me, it's pretty much, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. And so in realizing that that's the reason that I was probably so, you know, powerful compared to the number of other, well, hundreds of students that my aunt had attuned was that I took such ownership of it. And, you know, and that was kind of the, one of the things that we had been able to say together was, you know, well, because many of her students, they pretty much just said, okay, thank you. And then they when about, you know, their dates, even, you know, her kids, you know, would say, you know, it's like, oh, I can do this. Like, it's this, you know, cool thing that they can do in a moment. And, you know, but for me, it was, no, this, this is all there is. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's kind of what she says. Okay. Well, I think because, you know, you've taken it so serious, I think that's the reason that it really just became anchored. And so, so I basically uh, began just doing multiple sessions, trying to, you know, it's like really just fine tune it to fully understand it. And so that's when I pretty much began doing it on, you know, coworkers and really just kind of trying to, you know, play with, you know, the ability in a way. Um, I actually had a coworker that was sitting on the ground you know, it's like at work, um, just in horrible pain, you know, it's like it was, you know, her, you know, her monthly cycle. And, you know, she was just, you know, just miserable. And, and of course, because I was able to feel what she, you know, was experiencing, I basically went ahead and just channeled in the energy and just kind of pointed my hand towards her without her even really being aware. And, then, you know, she, she got up, started walking around and, you know, started working. And I looked at her and I said, how are you feeling? And she looked at me and she goes, what'd you do? <laughs> and I said, I helped it. 
And so she was like, oh my gosh, she's like, my cramps are gone. And, and so and that's when I started kind of realizing it's like, oh, okay. So I don't have to, you know, it's like really <laughs> be in, you know, a particular you know, it's like a, you know, state of mind, or it doesn't have to be, you know, this particular way. And so now one of the things I do not encourage is most of the time, you know, it is required that you get permission from the person to, you know, to do, you know, a session like that. But um, because her and I had already become, you know, such great friends, and just because, you know, I was able to see and feel what she was experiencing, I said, okay, I got to do something. And, and there are some instances where, um, even when, you know, with my aunt, she'll actually get a phone call from her daughter and, you know, it's like her, her daughter will say, I, I need you, I need you to, to give me some Reiki. You know, it's like, it's just, uh, you know, I'm just you know, miserable, but because she's expecting it, it's like, she can't receive it. Mm. And so, you know, it's like, so Karma will attempt to, you know, to channel, you know, the energy to her and she just runs into roadblocks. And so, you know, so there are those times when she has to wait until they're completely off the phone, hours go by, you know, then she's able to, you know, channel and then she consents. Okay. Yeah. She's ready to receive it. Hmm. And so, cause there have been times when I've done, you know, those really short sessions and it makes a huge difference. And that's, and then the flip side of that is that a person just is, I don't know what, if they're expecting too much or what it might be, but you know, I've done hour sessions and really didn't make a difference. And so it is one of those things that, you know, that a person has to be open to it and, you know, and they, you know, so in some ways, you know, one of the words that's kind of used is you kind of have to surrender to it and, you know, and then it, it does make a huge difference. Um, but you know, that's why initially, you know, I like to just kind of get a sense of where a person's at, kind of what they're hoping to get out of it. If they have a particular, you know, end goal in mind, and then it kind of gives a starting off point. And then the nice thing about, you know, the energy though, is that it goes where it feels it needs to. And so I'm not the one that's directing it. And so really when it comes to the actual healing, um, much like very similar to, you know, what you do with chiropractic is you basically just kind of give it, you know, what will give the body what it needs to do what it's supposed to do, yeah. which is heal itself. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, to kind of get it out of that fight or flight mode. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's just kind of like, okay, well, we just need to get, you know, you out of the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> To, you know, to basically allow, you know, your body to do what it is capable of. Yeah. In chiropractic. So, uh, I, I don't know if they teach it a lot anymore in our schooling, but when I went, they were still, uh, incorporating a lot of chiropractic philosophy. And so in, in chiropractic philosophy, it talks about, um, it talks about universal force. It's a, the, the shows a diagram of a triangle. There's universal force. Uh, or intelligence, actually, universal intelligence. And then there's force, which is the energy that's emitted from that intelligence, right? And acts upon humans and everything in the corporeal world, right? The rocks, the trees, the land, the water, etc. And then inside of humans or any living being is something called innate intelligence. And it's actually in inorganic material as well. 
but it's mainly in organic materials that are sentient, just like us or, you know, cats and dogs or even bugs, right? Um, and innate intelligence is what takes that energy that's given from universal intelligence and universal force and, and organizes it. It consumes it, it organizes it, and it, and it makes it constructive. Because the problem with universal forces like wind and rain and lightning and, uh, you know, and floods and stuff like that, it can be very destructive. It is very destructive, but it's not, it's not destructive in a way like humans can be right. It's not malicious. It just is what it is. It's a tremendous amount of energy at times. Mm -hmm. Well, innate intelligence has the ability, number one, to resist it, right? That's why we build houses. That's why we have umbrellas. That's why we, you know, we, we wear clothes to block ourselves from the rays of the sun, the, you know, the potentially destructive rays of the sun. Like we absorb what we need to and we, and we, we, we shield off what, we, that what would be too much for us, right? And um, chiropractic is about addressing the structure. So in that triangle is like the structural, the actual material part of the human body. And it acknowledges that the nervous system is the kind of the epicenter, like the, it's the conduit for that, that, that innate intelligence to express itself and to deliver energy to the cells of the body and instruction and coordination. But really what we primarily do is we go in and we find interference to the flow of that energy through the nervous system primarily, and we remove that interference. And that's largely what we're doing when we do chiropractic adjustments or manipulations where the most common thing that interferes with the flow of that energy is misalignments or mechanical restrictions to the bones that surround those nerves and protect them. And so unfortunately, this happens quite frequently. Uh, due to various stressors, physical, emotional, energetic, and biochemical stressors, stressors and, and uh, electromagnetic ones, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a new one on the spectrum. It's only, you know, electricity and, and, and microwaves and Wi-Fi uh, frequencies have only been around, you know, electricity's been around for a while, of course, since the early 1900s. Uh, but, I mean, Wi-Fi and all that's only been around since 1980s, maybe, you know, maybe 90s, something like that. So human beings are just barely getting saturated in this stuff. And we're finding it does have a, a detrimental effect on our physiology. And, of course, it can result in, you know, uh, disruption of the mechanics of the joints in the body, i.e. subluxations is kind of what we call it. In the medical world, a subluxation means a very different thing. And I won't go too much into that right but uh, i just want to acknowledge it because i do deal largely in the medical world especially med legal we've discussed this mm -hmm. and so i want to acknowledge that so that you know if anybody is listening and they're like oh the, you know subluxations this well i understand that right i'm just letting you know this is chiropractic so um and yeah so in chiropractic traditionally we would call these misalignments or these uh, mechanical restrictions in the joints we call them subluxations and they interfere with the expression of innate intelligence and that force to allow us to, to regulate and govern our health. So, you know, anyway, just kind of going into that, you know, saying, adding on to what you were saying, right? You, on the other hand, you're channeling this energy, you know, <laughs> and, and you're actually, uh, in, in, in the way that I describe it is you're like the conduit 
mm-hmm. you're pulling it in, you're concentrating it, and then you're, you know, you're 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 put, putting it out to the person, the intention right there to the person that you you intend for it to be for, and of course the energy is intelligent because it's coming from an intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, however you want to describe that, and yeah. uh, and 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 then it's allowing the body to heal itself, right? Yeah, and. Also, you know, help me. Well, the biggest thing I'd say is the fact that we're made up of multiple bodies, not just the physical. And so, you know, looking at, you know, the the physical, the mental, the emotional. You know, it's like you got the light body, the cost, the caustic body. You know, it's like the energetic body. So, you know, one of the things that had fascinated me, and and you and I have talked forever trying to figure out how to measure. <laughs> you know, the, what, what it is that we're doing. I'm still working on that. Yeah. And so when we were going through some of the seminars, um, I think one of them was the, uh, the nutrition response testing one. And I think that was the first time we were introduced to the scientific word for the energy field. Oh no, you're thinking of, um, you're thinking of, I can't, I'm sorry, Dr. He's up in Washington and he actually, he has, it's along the same lines, but it's, it's muscle testing, but it's called morphogenic field testing. That's That's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that was interesting to be able to say, oh, there's actually a name for this, Mm -hmm. the morphogenic field. Mm -hmm. Right. And so another word, you know, for that kind of in, you know, the energy medicine world is the aura Mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, realize that it is layered. And, you know, and it really just determines, you know, well, kind of depends on how short or, you know, long it is and how far, you know, it's like either or close to the body it goes and being able to, you know, measure that and possibly improve, you know, its length on all sides. And so, so that was actually one of the first times I was like, oh, okay, so there's another way of looking at this it has you know it's like another you know name Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things that you know that we've realized is you know even when it comes to when i was learning about you know reiki it's like okay well you've got you know ki in japan chi in you know china it's you know it's prana in india so yeah so you're kind of realizing you're kind of speaking all about the same things it's just a different word different language different language Mm -hmm. and so that's been you know the really interesting part when when i started really doing you know sessions in the class in the class in the clinic um was, you know, was having people come in from all walks of life, all different religions, all cultures, and being able to find the right language. And then, you know, really being able to, you know, to figure out what the individual needed and then the various ways to address it. Um, because that's one of the things that, you know, has driven me crazy about, you know, healthcare is that, you know, is that everyone is supposed to fit into a particular box. And that's, you know, pretty much even in school and, you know, everywhere else, right? Society as a whole pretty much tries to, you know, make everybody the same. Compartmentalized. Exactly. And realizing that we're just not that way at all. Not that way. No. You know, it's like we, every one of us is incredibly unique. We come, you know, into this world with, you know, our own makeup, our own lessons, our own, 
you know, purposes, right? The lessons that we're supposed to learn. And, you know, and then somewhere along the way, we basically, you know, forget. Actually, you know, the funny thing is we actually agree to forget <laughs> to then, you know, suddenly, you know, relearn and remember, right? To reintegrate. And so, so in some ways, you know, it's like life kind of becomes a process of unlearning and then relearning again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, being able to recognize that, you know, everybody is not going to be the same and, you know, and you kind of have to treat them as such. You know, I personally like, you know, the, the fact that I've had some people actually say to me, you know, it's like, they were like, I don't know if I could actually, you know, come and see you guys. I don't know if I could actually work with you guys. And I asked, I was like, why do you feel that way? And they said, well, because I'm pretty messed up. <laughs> right. And they're like, and I don't want, you know, anything to happen to you guys or, you know, it's like, or just have you kind of realize how messed up I am. And one of the things that, you know, that you and I have pretty much have said is, is bring it right. Yeah. We pretty much welcome the challenge because we're willing to, you know, do what is, you know, needed and take the time and put in the energy to figure it out. <laughs> well, we've realized that a lot of the reason why I'd say most people are saying that kind of stuff is how afraid people are of being seen, but realizing that it's a very important component of what they need in order to heal. Yeah. Because so often we're so afraid of people seeing who we really are and what we're really about. And honestly, that's a lot of why we are starting this podcast because, um, you know, I, I for years have been very shut off to people. Like I, I'm very defensive. I, uh, I've had such a hard time uh, connecting with people, uh, you know, understanding them, them understanding me. Uh, matter of fact, that's, that's what ended up leading us ultimately to do our ayahuasca journey, which we'll go into in another, you know, time it's, it's deep. Um, <laughs> but it made me realize so much about like, okay, so I have to connect to people, but still I just, I don't have an easy time doing it in the traditional way that everybody else does that I am not a traditional person. And so it's like, and I'm a techie person. So I thought, Hey, let's do a podcast, right? You know, it's technology. It's it's still pretty. It's still fairly new. I mean, yeah, there's podcasts been around for a while, whatever. Uh, but this is a new podcast, and this is a total new venture for us. And it's a lot a way for us to share ourselves with you, but for you to share yourselves with us, right? To allow yourselves to be seen, heard, know, heard, felt, felt, <laughs> right? Because um, we are, again, you know, I, I talked in the beginning about how I tend to approach things from more of like a Western or, you know, traditional scientific approach. Because I do think it's important. Because some people are a little way too off the other end, you know. I don't think it's good to be, in, you know, at any end of the spectrum, like completely. You don't want to be too far over here. You don't want to be too far over here. In, in my mind, things kind of tend to lie in the middle, like there's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like you look through history, you look through various Eastern systems, Western systems, philosophies, uh, scientific explanations, things seem to gravitate towards the middle. And so I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a real mystery to that. Like it, it, it seems pretty obvious that um, we require balance We uh, and we require both. You know, we require the uh, the energetic and the spiritual and, you know, the, the non-corporeal side of our being 
But then we also have this physical, you know, spacesuit, if you will, right, that we're all walking around in. Spacesuit, meat sack. Meat sack. You know, yeah. <laughs> Our friends would call. Depending in, in what mood I'm in, I'll call it a meat sack or a meat bag, you know, if I'm the feeling. The skin little, bag. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but if I'm feeling nice and, you know, gentle, then I'll say, you know, spacesuit. It has a, it seems to have a little bit nicer ring, but, you know, yeah. You know, it just depends on what mood you catch me in. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have, you have to look at both of them. Um, and, and to tell you the truth, I've been nervous about talking about this because, you know, my practice is very much, uh, in, in, uh, the medical world. I have a lot of like medical friends and colleagues, and I don't know that they necessarily understand this or even believe in it. And so now it's like, you know, they're going to potentially see this and say, oh, you're like that. And I'm going to have to face that and say, well, yeah, but what do you mean? I'm like that, you know, so I'm going to have to confront that. And I'd say for the most part, they'll probably say that's pretty cool, actually. And then there's going to be those that are really closed off that, well, you know, and this and that. And I'm going to say, look, you're you're entitled to the way you want to see things. I'm not here to change you. Mm -mm. You know, if you don't like it, don't listen to it, you know, but at the same time, what I realized, though, those people, there's there's a lot of dysfunction in those people. That's what I've noticed. Like the ones who don't acknowledge that side of our existence, they have a lot of the same issues I had. I had a lot of problems. Well, and one of the things that I'm happy that you finally kind of acknowledged is, you know, is the mirror principle hmm. that everything and everyone that we you know, that we encounter and experience is basically kind of a reflection or a mirror of ourselves. And so, yeah, so I mean, in some ways people, you know, I've had many people say they're like, I don't believe that. Right. And it may, and mainly it comes from, you know, it's like, well, how can that be a piece of me? Mm -hmm. Right. Or even any kind of aspect of myself. It's like, but, you know, in being, you know, with you and being able to kind of understand what actually makes up a human and the number of cells that we have and, you know, and everything that's at play for us to even exist, then it's like, okay, well, why couldn't that be? And that's really being, just being able to, to say, go ahead and question that. It mm -hmm. is okay to, right? And so it was, you know, cause well, that's one of the things that, uh, that I've always wondered. I've never taken anything at face value. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, some people, yeah, we, you, you can go and just say, it is what it is, right? And then, then there are those that are like, I hate that phrase, right? But I'm like, okay, well, I don't really know what else to say yeah. <laughs> because then it's just a question of, am I really wanting to even continue this conversation? But, but yeah, just kind of being able to say, no, there's multiple ways of looking at something. Because mm -hmm. even when I was first introduced, you know, to the mirror principle, a lot of people at first you'd think of a mirror and it's just one direction mm -hmm. right when in fact you know i actually had it explained you know like neck no look kind of think of it more like a diamond it's multifaceted right even go as far as you know looking at it from a kaleidoscope perspective right and so you know just being able to say okay there's multiple ways of you know of looking at this and you know multiple angles you know that it has within it so so, yeah, you know, it's like, that's why I've never been, you know, it's like at all black and white, 
Right. And so, <laughs> so that's kind of been, you know, the struggle when it comes to school, because I mean, you and I have talked about this, you know, as far as math, everyone's like, math is just, it is what it is, right? You know, you either get it or you don't. And I was like, no, I just hadn't been taught, you know, mm-hmm. the, the right way, yeah. you know, or the way that makes sense specifically for me, right? Because I'm not going to see, you know, things the way that someone else does. And so, so yeah, so, but that going back to, um, you know, the ways that we've been able to approach people, you know, and the challenges that they're having, because there are times when, you know, it's like when someone wants to come in and, you know, see me and I've encouraged them, well, let's have you see, you know, Dr. Spiro first to make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be right? Gets you fully aligned and, you know, balanced from the the physical perspective. And then, you know, we can work on because who knows if what they're experiencing, you know, specifically comes from that, right? Mm -hmm. But then, you know, what we've seen is people have seen you months, years, and still had those same challenges over and over again. And you finally had to say, this is not a chiropractic problem, you know, it's like, this is emotional. It's, you know, it could be, you know, it's like energetic. You're there's some stuff, you know, going on in there that has not been addressed. And then you'll say, maybe you need to, you know, sit down and, you know, talk with Teresa mm-hmm. and be able to, to say, okay, there's something else. And, you know, and then of course I try and take multiple, you know, it's like, um, per, you know, perspectives and different, try different techniques you know, because even in, you know, the psychology world, I mean, there's thousands of ways, you know, to address one thing, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, but again, it's like only so many are chosen mm-hmm. and it, that becomes the way. And it's like, no, you realize that there are many others. <laughs> so why can't we maybe look into those and give them a try? You know, because again, you know, a person's not going to you know, they're not going to receive something the same way. Mm -hmm. And so, because I don't know how many times I've had, I mean, I've had, you know, teenagers that had multiple therapists that they went and saw and none of them, you know, it's like really made, you know, made the difference. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they, they sit down with me and because I asked them a simple question, who are you? (laughs) Then, then they can go, Oh, And so that's one of the things that can make all the difference is not, you know, basically doing the same things that have always been done that were never, you know, that were never going to make the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one, I actually, one of the teenagers that, you know, I worked with, one of the, one of the um, things that her mother had actually shared with me was I was the first person that didn't go through the game of 20 questions. (laughs) And so it pretty much just was, oh, you know, it's like, okay, well, Obviously, you know, you have not liked anybody else that you went to and, you know, and, and can I ask why? And then it's like they were all the same. And some of the things that they would say that, um, that they were told or, you know, in trying to explain whatever it was they were going through. And I thought to myself, I said, I would never say something like that. And, you know, so and again, it's because. I think that's where wanting to understand people and, you know, and really just helping people see themselves, I think really makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, you know, and at the, at the time you and I have gone to, 
you know, seminars and, you know, parties. And it was obvious that <laughs> that you were not the, the people person before, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, you know, I'd go through and I'm like saying hi to everybody. And, you know, so I was always the, the social one. And it's funny how our roles have kind of reversed because now you actually have to be, you know, there speaking and engaging. And I'm usually the one that's now kind of observing and <laughs> trying to just say, okay, well, let me just kind of get a feel for, you know, what's going on before I engage. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, that was something that had to be learned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like you bringing that up, you said, how I used to be the one that would just kind of, I was the wallflower. I would sit side and, and, and observe people. And I still do, honestly, especially in, in environments where I don't know a ton of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the reason, one of the reasons I think I like speaking is because it, I, it has, it forces them to pay attention to me. Mm. They have no choice. They're sitting there. They're going to listen to the material it puts a lot of pressure on me because now I have to perform. All eyes on me. Yeah, yeah, exposed. and I have to, and it has to be interesting, right? I and I engage with them, but it's kind of a win-win because it forces me to do it. If we're and I and I want to do it, like I want to engage with people, I want to connect with them, right? Uh, whereas before I was just too afraid to do it. Now I'm not afraid to do it. I realize I need to. It's kind of one of the things I'm here to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course I don't, I don't come into it with what you do because I just don't have that gift or I haven't learned to tap into it. Uh, but, and that's You're okay. actually more intuitive than you think you are. I know that I am. I'm, you know, I think just more at the, at the, you know, kind of the echelon, you know, where you, where you go to it. And, and probably a lot of that is in a way I don't want to, I just don't want to absorb all that stuff that, that happens sometimes, right. That we've learned that can happen. You know, and yeah, you can protect yourself, but let's face it, you do these, you do these sessions, they're very intense. Um, and these people come in with lots and lots of, you know, traumas and experiences that have a certain toxicity or, you know, negativity attached to it. And you can do, I mean, you can, you can be the pro at this, right? You can do all this stuff and, and protect and shield, but still some of it, it does have an effect on you. And it takes time to kind of like shake it off and, you know, well, and that's, it out. that's something that has to be, you know, learned as well, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, in the beginning, you know, it's like I would finish sessions and I would just feel completely gross. Mm-hmm. And then finally being able to understand, oh, you know, it's like, I haven't yet, you know, mastered how to cleanse it and to release it and to just completely let it go so yeah it's like in the beginning i can say all day long okay you know it's like i am shielded i'm protected you know it's like this is one direction i'm not absorbing any of this but bottom line is you kind of do and so but then being able to recognize okay well anything that i'm experiencing or you know obviously it's not mine and so then okay how do i clear this and so but that's something that i had to find the right mentors to you know to basically learn how to do that Mm -hmm. and so you know but every now and then you know that's when i still recognize okay i didn't prepare right or i didn't you know it's like completely release it all and so that's why you know i'm constantly saying this is not something to be you know taken lightly you know it's like it is a huge responsibility Mm -hmm. and you know it's like and it has to be you know it's like treated you know as such right yeah and so yeah you know it's like it's a gift but you know at the same time it's like you understand that yeah you can actually 
do, you know, harm in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being able to, you know, to, to go into it with the right intention, which is really when it comes to, you know, it's like any practitioner mm-hmm. that anyone chooses to go to being able to question, you know, who they are and what they're about. And, you know, and so, so I actually have, you know, if people want it, then I do actually have kind of a list of questions that they should ask because I mean, we've seen this with some of our patients, you know, they go to their doctors and, you know, and they allow various things to be done to them. It's like, you didn't question that. Mm-hmm. You just allowed it to happen. <laughs> or they tell them something and like, that that's it. You know, you didn't question like, what do you mean? That's it. I mean, we can't go this route. You know, how come you didn't run this test? But unfortunately, sometimes they do that. And then the doctor attacks them. You know, yeah, how yeah. dare you attack? You know, you question me like, and it's like, really, you think you're God or something, which it is actually the situation with some of them, especially surgeons. Surgeons, it's more common to have a God complex. Not that all surgeons are bad. And you guys that, that know me, love you guys. You're very down to earth, but some of you are just D bags. So, um, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah. you gotta be, well, able to and it's, it's anyone. I mean, you know, obviously we, you know, we can't take a person and say, okay, well, you know, it's like, we're going to heal you. Right. Yeah. We're going to take away all your problems. No. Right. And so, well, that's, that's bad on a, a, a couple of levels. One is, uh, you're, you're coming in kind of with that Messiah complex. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, some people want you to do that and then they'll just throw it all on you and they'll have they'll take no self-ownership. And we've seen that, you know, quite a bit, too, where people, you know, especially it just seems like it, it's getting more common for people not to not want the stress of ownership of their own issues. And so they will gladly come in and they will dump it on you. And let me tell you something that's exhausting and that will lead you down the road to burnout faster than anything I can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And I speak from experience because I've done it and she's done it and it's just, it's not a fun place to be in. And so again, this is part of where the maturity comes in, right? This is the experience we've gone through these things and it's, we've come to these realizations and, you know, we set boundaries and sometimes, keyword, yeah, sometimes people have a hard time dealing with that because they don't understand that that boundary is a healthy boundary. They may not like it depending on their ego. Their ego may say, no, I, you know, you, you, you the problem is you. No, 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 no. The pro- you got to look in the mirror, bud. You know, the, the problem, unfortunately, you know, you're going to have to face it. The problem is you. You have to acknowledge our boundaries because, you know, you're, you're, you're just stepping over the line. And, and, and this is, again, a lot of the things you'll deal with with your clients, you'll show them like they are not keeping healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's a huge problem. You know, people just let people step on them. They're like they they're martyrs for the family. They take on everybody's responsibility. Like, I mean, you see women oftentimes will, you know, they'll take on they'll end up being forced in the role of like taking care of the parents and the kids. And then the spouse won't like really step up and help in on those things. And we see stuff like that a lot, you know, and, but, but then, you know, you get situations like our friend Mike who, where he is the provider for the kids and he's like, you know, he's daddy daycare and, and he runs two businesses. I mean, I'm seeing more often that men are stepping into these roles. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So anyway, that's like I mean, what I was saying before the whole role reversal. Yeah. Thing, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so yeah yet yet one more 
a vast topic to step into. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, well, geez, I mean, we've, we've talked about so much today and probably should, you know, wrap it up and, you know, let people, uh, let them simmer on what we've talked about and, uh, you know, give them, we've given, we've given you plenty to chew on and, to and to process and, and, and hopefully to, to whet your appetite. So, uh, and believe me, there's even more to come and the best is yet to come. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this and, or watch it if that's what you're doing. And, um, yeah, we look forward to bringing you more awesome content. So uh, I am uh, Dr. Robert Shapiro. I am Teresa. And we are the Intuitive Health Portal. Portal. Thank you.